1: swing
2: welcome back to another baseball America top 10 podcast I am Jeff Ponce I'm joined by Kyle Glazer and today we are going to the west coast we're talking Los Angeles Dodgers top 10 Kyle welcome to the show how are you man
1: Doing all right. Just, uh, to my wife's birthday today and we had just adopted a new dog, uh, saved a uh, shelter dog's life. He was uh, on the kill list. So put some good karma out into the universe. So feeling good and, uh, glad to have a new member of the family and just also, uh, looking forward to uh, spring training getting underway.
2: Big week for birthdays. Tomorrow's my birthday. It was Justin Verlander's birthday yesterday. <laughs> so, uh, great people were born in this week. So, uh, there you go. Happy birthday to your wife, Kyle.
1: Thank you. I'll, I'll make sure and tell her. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Very good. Well, this is uh, always sort of an exciting system. Um, you know, a team that I think we've said this ad nauseum, not just us, but really anybody in the industry. Every year, they're drafting at the back end of the top round. Every year, they find a way to take a player that seems like <laughs> they should have been taken within the top 10 of the draft. Uh, sometimes they find guys like that even in the fourth or fifth round. So let's get into the Dodgers a little bit here. Um, you know, I think you've seen a lot of turnover within the lineup, particularly this year, you know, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, Trey Turner, um, Tyler Anderson, previous years, Scherzer, um, Corey Seager, and of course, Canley, uh, Canley Jensen. So I guess talk to me a little bit about, you know, the turnover in this team, their ability to year after year, I guess, develop players that allow them to acquire these players but also, you know, inter- internally developed players that that sort of slot right into the lineup and produce.
1: Yeah, I mean, this has been the hallmark of the Dodgers during this run, right? It's now 2023. This run of success began in 2013. You know, 10 consecutive playoff appearances, nine division titles, a World Series championship, two other World Series appearances. And you go back and look at when this run started, right? The best players on the team were Adrian Gonzalez and Hanley Ramirez still in his 20s, by the way, Matt Kemp, Andre Ethier. I mean, it's been a while and the Dodgers have had a lot of all stars, you know, Cy Young contenders, MVP contenders leave the team over the course of the last decade. And they haven't missed a beat. I mean, the rotation, Clayton Kershaw, the one constant, but you go back, you know, Hyunjin Ryu and Zach Granke, were their numbers two and three starters and pretty dang good two and three starters. And, and you've talked about it. I mean, most teams after 2021, losing players of Max Scherzer, Corey Seager, and Ken Lee Jansen's caliber, you know, would have taken some sort of step back. The Dodgers went out and won 111 games um, in 2022. And now and it's going to be a big test. Justin Turner, you know, Cody Bellinger had really fallen off, but he provided some defense. You know, Trey Turner was, was a standout shortstop for them in the year and a half he was there. So I will say, I, I think some of the players they lost in this most recent free agent cycle, they're going to be more difficult to replace in different ways. And what I mean by that is they went from having, you know, two true shortstops during the 2021 season and Seager and Turner, and then Seager left, you replace them with another all-star shortstop and Trey Turner. Now they don't really have a a true shortstop that you feel great about running out there every day as a contending team. Miguel Rojas, who they acquired is really good. You know, if you're a second division team as your starter, you probably don't want him as your everyday starter if you're trying to win a World Series. And that's where there's just some uncertainty. Can Gavin Lux handle the position? So there's more uncertainty. Really, uh, you could argue the most important defensive position on the field. And then Justin Turner. I've talked about this ad nauseum. All the stars the Dodgers have had, all the great players they've had, Justin Turner was the heart and soul of that clubhouse. That team went especially early on in the postseason when they were you know going through it in 2016, 17, 18. The Dodgers went as Justin Turner went, and I think losing him is going to be pretty significant. Now, they still have some some really good clubhouse leaders, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, recent acquisitions last couple years are top notch leaders in the clubhouse. You still have Clayton Kershaw around, but Um, they've lost a lot. So I think this is going to be a really big test for them. And again, they've replaced talent before they do it year after year. But I do think this year is going to be a slightly bigger test than maybe some recent years in terms of the uncertainty at shortstop. And I just can't emphasize enough how much Justin Turner meant to this team and this clubhouse on top of his contributions on the field. It's like people forget this guy was still a pretty, pretty good player at age 37. He missed some time with injury, but was on the field. The slash line was good. The year before, he was still really, really good. He's productive on the field, and he meant the world to the team in the clubhouse. So it'll be a test, but with the Dodgers, you give them the benefit of the doubt.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, as we get into the system here, there's actually a player, um, you know, within the top three, and sort of, I'm sure we'll talk about this in a second, in contention, potentially for their top prospect, depending upon how you see the system, that's one of the interesting things about this Dodger systems. It seems, you know, there's three, four, even five guys that potentially could be, you know, ranked in that number one spot, but you have Cartaya, uh, you know, Diego Cartaya catcher at number one, Bobby Miller at number two, and then Miguel Vargas at number three, who has been playing second base so far this off season, um, Max Muncie, obviously, you know, the plan is to slide him back over to third. Um, Vargas has also played some third base, How difficult was it to sort of discern between the one, two, and three guy in this system? Because they all have a case.
1: Yeah, this was one of the the fun discussions to have, right? It's more fun kind of talking through three super talented players at number one than three guys you feel kind of meh about. All three of these guys would be number ones in at least two-thirds of the system in baseball. And and you see that based on the top 100 and where these guys slot in. Yeah, so I want to start kind of at the number three spot here. Miguel Vargas, there is some real, real belief that he should be the number one prospect in the system, which might surprise some people. Because I think outside looking in, there's generally a sense that Cartagena and Miller are just a clear tier above. And it's really not. And it's not anything they've done wrong. It's how good of a hitter Vargas is. It's just Supreme strikes on discipline and pitch selection. You know, the swing's not this, you know, beautiful, flawless, fluid swing that makes you go, God, that's gorgeous, like Ronald Acuna from the right side or anything. It's kind of an inside-out swing. It's not the the most beautiful thing in the world, but he makes a ton of contact. He consistently barrels balls up. He drives the ball effortlessly to right center. He's developed pull power. You know, some people out there are, are concerned about his exit velocities, and you look at the data, his exit velocities are fine. He's only going to get stronger. And on top of just his natural hitting ability, what's really interesting about him is when he first came over and signed with the Dodgers, he hadn't played for two years. So when he first arrived, he was kind of thick. He was a little bit chunky. I remember watching Rancho Cucamonga and, you know, he was just a thicker bodied guy and, and you assume, okay, you know, he'll thicken up a little more, maybe move to first base. What's happened with him is the opposite. As he's gotten back into a routine playing every day, working out over these last few years, He's slimmed down seeing him at the futures game last year was shocking. I mean, he's become this really explosive athlete with how he's transformed his body. He had the fifth fastest sprint speed in the Dodgers entire system last year. And they had some track stars, literally Johnny DeLuca was a high school track star and state champion. Um, And when he got to the majors, he had the second fastest sprint speed on the team behind only Trey Turner. So you have this supremely talented hitter who's getting quicker and more athletic and adding that to his game. You know, defensively, there are still some questions. The Dodgers are going to give him a shot second base this year. They still think long-term third base is his best position, but with how you know the roster composition is lining up this year, second base will be where he serves the team best. Now he doesn't have a lot of experience there; it's unproven. Again, running out Gavin Lux at short, Miguel Vargas at second, up the middle. That that could end up being pretty risky for the Dodgers and and potentially costly. But they're going to give them both a shot, and, and with no, if nothing else, with Vargas he's going to hit. There's no doubt from anywhere. If you love him, he's a 70 hitter. If you like him less, he's a 60 hitter. There's there's no argument for anything below a plus hitter with him. It's unanimous, minimum 280, 20 bombs, and and it might be 300 with 25, which obviously makes him a perennial all-star type of talent. And that's the guy who's number three in the system. But there is a, a real strong push that, yes, this guy can be number one. And you know, there are people, you know, veteran evaluators within the Dodgers organization have a long track record of being right, who believe he is their number one prospect. And it, it was a tough call, but, but he's in there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think your point about, you know, his exit velocities, et cetera, are well made. Um, and I think there's often points where people see a very small sample size at the major league level. where Guys aren't playing every day and the sample is so small in terms of balls in play. That yeah. you know, yeah. it's it's almost throw it out. You know, we've seen what the numbers were like in the minor leagues. The other thing is that you know you brought up about the body. I I sort of had thought the same thing. I watched him a little bit on t- on TV. You know, with some of these milb TV feeds, you kind of like I don't know. And, and then I saw him live in Los Angeles last year at the Prospect Pad, and he is a big, tall, thin, sort of athletic guy. So yeah. it is a very different build than I think people had necessarily anticipated. Um, Guess the you know, the next thing we'll jump into here a little bit, you know, having gone through those three.
1: Well, well no, I think we need to talk about Kartai and Miller still. Cause, I, oh, cause sorry, I think, with Vargas, yeah, my, my. you know, that was <laughs> you know, ultimately selling into number three. And and part of that separation a little bit was internally, all three of those guys are are neck and neck. And there is a case for Vargas, but if you talk to scouts outside the organization. For them, it's more Cartaya's 1A, Miller's 1B, and then Vargas is just a tick behind them. And again, it's nothing against Vargas. It's about how potentially great both Cartaya and Miller can be. So these two guys are interesting in the sense that both of them are supremely talented, but in some ways their years last year were a little bit underwhelming. So the biggest thing with Cartaya, Jeff, you'll remember last year when we did this podcast I described Cartaya as a wholly expletive prospect, the type of guy when you watch him, you go wholly expletive. But I made sure to add the caveat that it was 32 games at low A, and we need to see what this looks like over a longer sample against better competition. So we came back to Rancho Cucamonga to start the year, understandably, and the bat was still really, really impressive. But one of the things that came up is his swing definitely got a little bit longer this year. That's something they want to see him rein in. The strikeout rate was a tick high, and it was noticeable in Rancho. His defense went backwards, and then he got up to high Great Lakes, and it was really noticeable there. Some of the concern is he's had a couple back injuries. He's definitely a little less mobile back there. There were a lot of just drops and a lot of balls in the dirt that were technically wild pitches, but he should have been there to block them. He wasn't moving as well behind the plate. There were a lot more drops, and, and his defense went backwards. So the biggest thing with him is just going to be, again, shortening up the swing a little bit, but the Dodgers kind of ascribe those struggles too. He had never played more than 30-some-odd games a season before, and he went out and played 95 this year. A lot of it was fatigue. A lot of it was just the workload, him getting used to it. We have to see. So I, I think there are a few more concerns about Cartay in the sense of, okay, the swing got a little long. The defense went backwards, but the talent is just so spectacular that you still are going to bet that this kid is going to figure it out. He's got the physicality. He's got the makeup. He has the skill set. There's a real sense that this has a chance to be the next great Dodgers catcher in a long line of them. And then Bobby Miller, it's funny, there was a little bit of a disconnect talking to scouts throughout the year who went out, watched him, saw him, and you're getting, this guy's going to be a number one. This guy's going to be a number two. And then you say, okay, that's great. And and you see it, but where's the disconnect? Because he has a 4.45 ERA and A, and what's going on there. And the biggest thing with Bobby Miller is people have said, oh, he's a wild man. He's really not. His walk rate was lower than Gavin Stone's this year. A lot of people miss that. It's sequencing. hes You have to remember with Bobby Miller that he kind of bounced back and forth between the rotation and bullpen at Louisville his first two years. And then his first year, he was going to be a full-time starter. He only got four starts before the coronavirus pandemic shut down the season. First full season, he got hurt. Last year was really his first season starting a full slate of games across the season. He's still learning had to get through a lineup a third time. He's still learning how to sequence his pitches. This is a big guy with unreal stuff, as good of an arsenal as anyone in minor league baseball. And you can argue the best arsenal in minor league baseball. He just learning what pitch to throw in what situations, maintaining composure on the mound a little bit, not letting bad innings really get away from him. The type of things that come with experience and turns on the mound year after year after year, which he just hasn't had. And even with all that, he got the AAA and had one of the most dominant starts you'll see uh, when he faced uh, round rock. It was, if you ever get a chance to pull it up on MILB.TV, it's yeah. one of those amazing starts to watch just the way the ball was coming out of his hand that night. So, again, Diego Cartaya has a chance to be a perennial all star catcher. Bobby Miller has a chance to be a, a number two starter. They just have things to work on. And I think overall, their ceilings are just so immensely high you end up with them as kind of 1A and 1B. And Vargas, who, again, chance to be a batting title contending everyday infielder who hits 20 bombs. That's your third best prospect. I mean, this is a a premier farm system in baseball. It's led by these three. As I've said, any of whom would be the number one prospect in two thirds of systems in baseball.
2: Yeah, I think there's guys, you know, down this list even that probably could be considered the number one in a lot of different systems. Um, And I think that was a great point on Miller. And it's something that, you know, the further I got away from the season, the more I thought about it. I watched some, some video, et cetera. Did see some of those rock, that round rock video. Um, you start to think, you know, this isn't all that dissimilar from sort of the return from Tommy John surgery for Walker Bueller. They sort of, you know, took their time to slow roll him. Um, the numbers weren't always necessarily in line with the reports. And then it started to get closer and closer to that until, you know, he burst onto the scene. And we've seen what Bueller has been prior to the most recent injury. Um, one of the better starters in baseball. So we have to sort of trust the Dodgers uh, development track record here. hundred percent. No questions about that. Not, not hard to fun? do
1: that, by the way, with uh with, no. with pitcher development, yeah, I, no. the comp that keeps I mean, coming up is, is Brandon Woodruff, who again, different situation because when he was in triple a pitching in Colorado Springs, obviously that's a very, very, very difficult environment yeah. to be successful in. But you know, again, he, he showed some good things um, at times, but you know, there was an ERA up there that was over four. The strikeouts were, it was less than a strikeout per inning. The walks were a little high that final year. And and by the way, 2018 Carl Springs was an age 25 season. I mean, there was a little bit of, okay, what is this? Is he a starter reliever? Is he ever going to unlock the stuff? He was older than Miller. He was missing bats less than Miller was. And he's been just fine. So again, it, it's it's a little similar in that sense. And I think that that's the comp people go to a lot, the stuff, the physicality, and ultimately what the potential outcome could be, which again is a number two starter on you know one of the best pitching staffs in baseball and a perennial playoff contender.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about uh, another arm here, uh, one that I'm extremely fond of. Uh, he fell in six of the list, but I think there's you know some question because there's so many talented players here in the top five. That's Gavin Stone, a guy that I saw early in the season in uh, in high A in the Midwest League. Ended up winning uh, the minor league ERA title last year. I did a little video about him on YouTube as well. Go check that one out, kind of breaking down how he changed his slider. Let's talk a little bit about Gavin Stone because he's another arm that's really exciting in this system. I think he was the penultimate pick in that 2025 round draft. So once again, shows you how, <laughs> how well the Dodgers draft if they can take a guy out of central Arkansas in you know, the fifth round. And if we redraft the 2020 uh, draft right now, I bet he'd probably go in the top 15, if not the top 10. So let's talk a little bit about Gavin Stone.
1: Yeah, so this was the most difficult ranking in the entire top 10. I went back and forth on this so many times. So if you're dividing this top 10 to tiers, the top three are the clear-cut top three, internally, externally, those are the guys. That's the trio. There's not really any debate. Four, five, six, Michael Bush, Ryan Pepeo, Gavin Stone. Honestly, they're kind of interchangeable. And you see that if for those of you who received your prospect handbook, you'll notice they all have the exact same grade on them. 55 medium, every single one of them, same grade, same risk. And depending on what day you get out of bed, you can have one of them, four, one of them, five, one of them, six in any order. And that's a, and you'll have a very valid argument for it. Ultimately again, just after spending probably way too many hours uh, diving into this this trio here and how they should line up, Bush got the edge just because, again, I think in some regards people feel underwhelmed by him. But again, you have to remember, he hadn't really had a healthy season before this in terms of professionally. Got hit on the hand right away his first season. Got hit on the hand again last year. Um, you know, that really dragged his numbers down. I mean, last year was his first full healthy season. He got it to triple A. He led the minor leagues in runs scored and ranked third in extra base hits and total bases. He had a really, really good year. So the combination of position player, triple A, can really hit. That just kind of gave him the, the edge there, right? There's always a little bit less risk with position players than pitchers. And then Pepio versus Stone. Ultimately, again, it depends on who you talk to. It's very, very close. Pepio got the slight edge because just a little more physicality he's done it. He got, you know, conquered AAA, got to the majors last year. The, the control is questionable. It always has been, but it's trending in the right direction. And even with some of the control issues, he did a pretty good job keeping runs off the board in the majors. So, again, there's just a little bit of proximity, you know, proximity, physicality, and and progression there that gave Pepio a very slight edge. But if you want to argue Gavin Stone's the fourth best prospect in the system, you're not wrong. It's a really close call. And, and it's funny, I saw Gavin Stone on opening day 2021 pitching for Ranch Cucamonga, and I wrote about him that day. It's like, hey, this guy's pretty good. It was fastball slider, just a good pitcher, a little undersized, but he liked the stuff, held it well, executed at a high level. You knew he wasn't going to be in low A for long. But he really just threw those two pitches. Then he got to high A at the end of the year and his changeup really took a jump forward. And people were really high on it. It's like, oh, okay, he's got the third pitch now, and this is progressing nicely. He led the Dodgers in strikeouts, its first year in their system. But you know, as a college guy in the class A levels, he was a little bit undersized, and the stuff was good, but it wasn't spectacular. You just kind of want to see him it at higher levels. Well, Jeff, I remember when you sent me a Slack message after seeing him at high A this year telling me the Velocities he was throwing and that he was showing a 70 changeup. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a jump. And sure enough, um, you talk to people who saw him throughout the year, high A, double A, triple A. I mean, it's at minimum now, three above average pitches. Some people think it's three plus pitches. It's a, a 60 fastball now with increased velocity and improved command. You know, the Dodgers talked about it. They they internally felt he had below average fastball command in 2021. Even with that, he's still let the system strikeouts, but they thought it took a big jump forward this year. He's now got average fastball command with plus velocity. That's going to play. He has a breaking ball. It's still pretty good. And the changeup has become a, a true 70. And the biggest thing with him is I mentioned, you know, Bobby Miller actually had a lower walk rate than Gavin stone, but stones control is fine. What really separates him is his execution. We talk about Miller. Sometimes sequencing isn't there, loses his composure a little bit. Innings get away from him. None of that happens with Gavin Stone. He knows exactly what to throw and what situation. He executes it consistently at a high level. And he's just kind of like a quiet assassin on the mound. Nothing phases him. Nothing bothers him. He just goes about his business and, and efficiently gets rid of you. <laughs> he, he sits you down. So it was interesting. You talk to hitters who face both of them in A with uh, Tulsa. There were some who thought that Gavin Stone were they more difficult at bat than Bobby Miller because the execution level was so high. They could expect Bobby Miller to make a mistake at some point and punish him for it. You didn't get that opportunity with Gavin stone. So it's where there's an interesting debate, you know, his execution level is just so high. He's going to outperform maybe what you see with the body or, or again, depending on what you think of the stuff. Some people think it's more above average than plus, but there's a lot of confidence he's going to get the most from it and be a mid-rotation starter. Again, if Bobby Miller's your two and Gavin Stone's your three, you're a great team with a world series caliber top three in your rotation. Sure.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the most impressive things is just Stone got better throughout the year. The guy that I saw in the Midwest league was pretty damn good, you know, but he was 92 to 95. And then, you know, by the end of the year, by the time he's in Tulsa and then up in AAA. He's more 95 than 97. He's throwing a sweepy slider. His changeup has always been, you know, an above average to plus pitch, if not better. Um, So, you know, the stuff getting better throughout the season, him changing shapes on pitch throughout the year, that's really, really impressive. Um, Before we jump into the rest of the system here, let's take a quick break.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. every time.
2: And if you love the fillet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba 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 ba. All right, and we're back. Uh Kyle Glazer, Jeff Ponce here, talking about the Dodgers top 10, top 30. Um re- another name that they've drafted outside of the first round this year. Another guy that uh, you know, exciting player Dalton rushing had a really big debut in the Cal league catcher out of Louisville. We've heard this before. Number one pick in the 2021 draft was the guy that he replaced. Some people think the bat might be even better than Henry Davis. We're of course talking about Dalton rushing. So talk to me a little bit about rushing.
1: Yeah, it was funny. I went up to Ranch Cucamonga after the draft and and sat on a series, you know, a couple days and watched Dalton rushing. And after three days of watching him, I just kept thinking to myself, how the heck did this guy fall out of the first round? I I didn't see the whole country last year, but I saw the guys on the West Coast. There were two guys taken ahead of him based out here on the West Coast in the 20s and 30s. That this guy's just straight up significantly better than. And I started talking to a few Dodgers officials, basically asking that question, how the heck did this guy fall to 40? And their answer was, we have no idea. Uh, A couple officials told me they would have taken him at 30. A couple others told me they would have taken him at 20 if they had had the 20th overall pick. They felt like he was a first rounder talent wise. He really, really, really wowed them during the draft combine uh, interviews and just sitting and talking to him. So I watched him for three days, just watching the player on the field. I, again, I just kept thinking, how the heck does this guy fall to 40th overall? And then you talk to him and it's like, okay, someone made a mistake. Cause there's no way a guy that's this sharp. That's this competitive that's this good of a teammate with those physical abilities should have fallen out of the first round. Again, it's like the Dodgers sprinkled some devil magic on other teams to make them not pick him. It makes no sense. And the Dodgers are there to reap the benefits. Um, Dalton rushing was was one of the most impressive hitters I saw last year and talked to evaluators around the game. They agree. Now, this is where it's tough because I've talked about the sad knowledge the pitching in the California league was absolutely horrendous last year. It was even more horrendous in the second half after the draft because the few guys who were even remotely. Okay. Got promoted up. So on the one hand, an ACC standout hitter going to low A and the Cal league should put up insane numbers, but you watch the swing. You watch the strikes on discipline. He does not chase. He's extremely calm and composed in there. And I remember talking to you about this, Jeff, after that series, I I sent you a slack. It's a beautifully violent swing. That's why I describe it. It's so easy, but it's so powerful and so violent and kind of aesthetically pleasing too. Yeah, this this is an easy five bat six power. Some people think it's a six bat six power. There are questions defensively, and a lot of that's just reps. He sat behind Henry Davis at Louisville. He only started one year. And there's work to do. You know, Some in the Dodgers organization, when they drafted him, actually drafted him with the intention that he would be a first baseman. But he showed them enough to say, let's at least give catching a chance. The makeup is there. The physicality is there. The toughness is there. He's just got to refine his receiving. He's got to refine his footwork. He's got plenty of arm strength, but there's some things that have to be worked on there in terms of accuracy and footwork. So at the very least, give him time behind the plate They see how much better he can get. But even if he doesn't stick there, it's not going to matter. That's a loud impact bat that's going to play in the middle of a lineup anywhere. And again, just it was very, very Dodgers to get this guy at the 40th overall pick because he's very, very clearly better than a few guys who went ahead of him. And, And again, the Dodgers who tend to be right think he was better than about 20 guys who went ahead of him.
2: Yeah. And when he was in the Cape in, you know, 2021 over that summer, he was probably one of the five most impressive hitters that I saw. I mean, in terms of bat speed, um, you know, like I think it was before I had come here, I was doing rankings over for perfect game that summer. And I think I had done some superlatives and he was far and away the most bat speed on the Cape. I mean, you watch this guy swing a bat. It is like, it is like a tornado. I mean,
1: it is explosive. It's beautifully violent. That's the word. Yes. Those are the words I keep coming yeah. back to is beautifully violent.
2: Yeah. It is a great left-handed swing. Um, and you know, we're, we're talking about guys that went within the top, you know, five to 15 picks in the draft that I'm comparing them against um, guys with a lot of helium, like Spencer Jones. And you know, this guy was every bit as impressive as a hitter. He's not as big physically, Um, I think he's a better athlete and a better conditioned athlete than I think people realize. Uh, It's just a matter of him refining his best position. I saw him play some first base. I saw him play some catcher. I even saw him play some outfield in the Cape. So I think he's capable of maybe fitting in at any one of those slots and maybe even being, um, especially with the Dodgers development, being a guy that could potentially be sort of a super utility type of player with, you know, huge upside within the bat. Let's move on to some other players here, um, sort of outside the top 10. Who are some favorites for you outside of this top 10? Uh, this system's so deep, but there are a ton of guys that are probably going to pop into the top 10 next year that are just outside. So give me some of those names that uh, you were most impressed by throughout the season.
1: Yeah. So I, I would say, you know, the top eight guys in this top 10 were, were slam dunk top 10 guys. All of them, there's top 100 consideration. These are, you know, premium prospects in the game. You know, Nick Destrini at nine with the season he had, there, there was a sense that he's probably safely in there too. The conversation really starts at number 10. Okay, who should number 10 be? You know, James Altman, the year he had, the proximity to the big leagues, the athleticism, uh, the trend line moving upward. He ultimately got the nod there. But again, there's a lot of guys outside the top 10 here who would be slam dunk top 10 prospects and a lot of other systems and heck even top five prospects and some of the systems we have ranked probably in the back third. I mean heck, I'm okay saying this. I think Nick Frasso might be the Braves' number one prospect. I mean, the ability he has, and he's number 12 you know, on this Dodgers list, or I guess he's 11 now post-Jacob Amaya trade. So yeah, I guess you start there with Nick Frasso. I saw him and wrote him up out of Loyola Marymount in the 2020 draft. And again, he was someone that had a lot of helium potential top two rounds coming out of Team USA, um, got hurt, shortened season, fell a little bit, but Came back after Tommy John surgery. Um, this guy was a, a standout basketball player in high school who threw down some ridiculous dunks. He's kind of built like a, a basketball player—that long, lean, six foot five, crazy athlete—and the fastball is just so, so, so explosive. Guys do not see it. It plays to both sides of the plate. You know, velocity, you know, spin rates, anything and everything you want to see it's just an overwhelmingly dominant pitch and that's a really good foundation to have. He still has to work on the secondaries, you know, both the quality of them, consistency of them and the command of them. But if he gets those, he has a chance to be a, a guy who jumps onto the top 100 very quickly and, and look like a future mid rotation starter. If they don't quite come along to the level hope for that fastball is still going to play in, in you know, late inning relief, seventh, eighth, um, probably not close because you want to see a, a better secondary there, but um, he's a guy that absolutely you know could jump onto the top 10. And then everyone's favorite DSL sleeper. I know he's one of your favorites, Jeff, uh, Josue De Paula. He's kind of an interesting story. He's a cousin of Stefan Marbury and uh, Sebastian Telfair. Grew up in New York, moved to the Dominican Republic when he was 15. Kind of did the Alex Reyes thing where he grew up in the U.S., moved to the Dominican Republic to, to sign internationally, get a bigger bonus earlier than he would have maybe out of the draft. Very, very quickly uh, established himself as one of the most promising young hitters in the Dodgers system. Again, a lot depends on how the body develops, You know how he grows. Um, there, there's a chance he might end up at DH. No one thinks there's going to be a ton of defensive value there, and that's always a little risky when you're talking about someone this young who already kind of fits into that profile. But he can really, really hit. Beautiful swing. It's very mechanically sound. There's a lot of strength in there and a lot more to come. Again, he can be a guy who is an impact hitter in the middle of the lineup, who is contending for MVP awards, even as a DH. If everything goes the way people think he's, it's going to go, but,
2: he's a freaky athlete. Like his his athletic testing that they did was like off the charts. Like he's a loud so, thing. So so, I don't and, think and that's he's probably gonna end in the outfield, but we'll see.
1: Well, and and so that's where you know it's interesting, right? And this is where the difference between athletic testing and how guys move on the field. So he's six, five. And it's interesting for athletic testing. He doesn't actually move great on the field. You know, Dodgers internally, they describe him as not hyper athletic, probably, you know, first base, maybe corner outfielder. He's not a great runner. Um, Whatever the athletic testing is, it doesn't play on the field. And so that's where I it's do. like, okay, you know, <laughs> he, he he's going to be more of that first base corner outfield, probably even DH type, but the bat has a chance to be so good. It's not going to matter again. He's in the DSL though. There's a long way to go and we have to see what it looks like against full season pitching, but the early signs are, this is a really, really, really promising young hitter. So he's just off the list. And then one other guy that um, it's funny, I wrote him up out of high school and, and, and I saw him a lot at ranch Cucamonga, you know, you saw tools and you saw athleticism, but, there were some things to work on. And I remember you letting me know after seeing Haia this year, hey, he's improved. And that played out was Johnny DeLuca. Um, again, literal track star in high school, uh, state champion, long jumper. And, you know, went to Oregon, didn't quite have the career people hoped for, but he still came out as a draft eligible sophomore. Dodgers gave him sixth round money, taking him significantly later. And the biggest thing is he dropped switch hitting and started hitting right handed only. And all of a sudden, the offense really started to come. This is exactly what you'd expect from a track star in the outfield. He's explosive. He accelerates. He can play all three outfield positions. He's strong. He's got a really good arm. He's got good power. And now he's hitting right-handed only. The bat's starting to come around. He's still not always comfortable seeing right-handed pitching just because, again, he, he just isn't familiar with it batting right-handed he's normally used to seeing it left-handed so recognizing pitches you know from right-handers batting right-handed still a work in progress but you know the dodgers i remember talking to one of their front office officials um during this process he mentioned we've been looking for a right-handed hitting outfielder who can crush lefties and play all three outfield positions for years and we realize we have them in our own system and that's why they put him on the 40 man again it, it's probably a platoon bat But when you have a guy who can crush lefties, play all three outfield positions and above average to potentially plus level, um, it just offers you that level of athleticism. And and he's getting better too. The trend line's moving in the right direction offensively. It's a good player to have. And and someone I know other organizations consider him to be one of the Dodgers' top 10 prospects. Um, We don't have him quite there, but look, they put him on the 40-man for a reason. He's a really good player and someone that can help the team in the near future.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's a really exciting system all throughout Uh, DeLuca is, you know, a guy, as you said, mentioned, added added to the 40 man um, and just a really fun player to watch. Sort of an undersized, uh, I I don't want to use the term character type, but um, just sort of does everything well on the field and at like, you know, absolute max speed. So really exciting player, really exciting system. Kyle, any sort of closing thoughts here on the Dodgers top 30 before we wrap this up?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, this is a farm system that has this team ready to continue competing. I mean, we talk about all the guys they've lost the last two years. Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, Trey Turner, Tyler Anderson, Max Scherzer, Corey Seager, Kenley Jansen. You know, if most other teams lost that many players in a two-year span, you'd say they're rebuilding and they're tanking and they're going to probably have a top 10 pick or a top five pick in the next couple of years. Not the Dodgers. They still have stars in the big leagues, and they have a lot of guys in the farm system ready to come up. And look, it's always a risk anytime you say, "Oh, we're really counting on four, five, six young guys to play big roles for us." You know, four, five, six rookies. But the Dodgers have a track record of making it work making sure these guys are getting the instruction they need in the minor leagues to be ready to perform from day 1 in the big leagues. I've written about this extensively how their rookies outperform any other team's rookies year after year after year. And they've got them ready to compete for, you know, the long term. Again, there's still going to be questions whether Gavin Lux can hold down shortstop, whether Miguel Vargas can actually play second base that remains to be seen. Infield defense could be an issue here and if that's the case, you know, Rojas goes to short. Every day, Lux at second, what do you do with Vargas? Do you throw him in left? Do you you, you know there, there, there's going to be questions, but the Dodgers are pretty good about figuring it out, having a lot of moving pieces and, and maximizing everyone's skill set. And again, the pitching depth is what stands out, even despite the fact you know you lose Tyler Anderson in free agency after he has an all-star season. Walker Bueller is going to be out the entire year after you know having Tommy John surgery. There's still a really, really deep rotation in here. And then you have those three guys we talked about, you know Miller, Pepio, and Stone, all waiting in reserve. This team rolls eight deep. And and those guys might be starting for a lot of other teams and opening day rotations are close. And these guys all have to wait for someone else to get hurt to get a shot. So the Dodgers are in great shape. They've lost a lot of talent, but they do have the internal players to continue this run of dominance. And look, the Padres are coming for them. I do think this is a year where, you could see the potters maybe leap them just given there will be some adjusting for some of these young guys. And there's, there's absolutely scenario here where the middle infield defense collapses. The young guys struggle a little bit. Um, you know, losing Justin Turner in the clubhouse becomes an issue and, and maybe the Padres finish a game or two ahead, but this is still a playoff team that should win 90, 95, possibly even a hundred games this year. And in future years, the talents there and, and, this year's just going to be really interesting, seeing um, all these new guys kind of how they how they fit in because there is a lot of change, but there's a lot of talent. And the Dodgers, as we know, they don't rebuild; they reload year after year after year.
2: Absolutely. And on that note, we'll uh, wrap this up. I'm Jeff Ponce. He's Kyle Glazer. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcasts. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a good one.